Today's scripture reading is from Exodus 18, verses 1 through 12. Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, heard about everything that God had done for Moses and for God's people Israel when the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back, along with her two sons, one of whom was named Gershom, because Moses had said, I have been a resident alien in a foreign land, and the other, Eliezer, because he had said, the God of my father was my helper and rescued me from Pharaoh's sword. Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, along with Moses' wife and sons, came to him in the wilderness where he was camped at the mountain of God. He sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down, and then kissed him. They asked each other how they had been and went into the tent. Moses recounted to his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and all the hardships that confronted them on the way and how the Lord rescued them. Jethro rejoiced over all the good things the Lord had done for Israel when he rescued them from the power of the Egyptians. Blessed be the Lord, Jethro exclaimed, who rescued you from the power of Egypt and from the power of Pharaoh. He has rescued the people from under the power of Egypt. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because he did wonders when the Egyptians acted arrogantly against Israel. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in God's presence. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, and the title of my message this morning is Testifying in the Wilderness. Uh, as we have been looking at the past several weeks in this uh, section of the book of Exodus, uh, life in the wilderness, life journeying in the wilderness is very difficult. There is a lot of pain and trial and hardship. After God rescued Israel out of Egypt and he was bringing them to the promised land, there was a journey that they went through, and that journey was full of trial and testing. And in the midst of that, what got exposed in Israel was their doubts and their uh, frustrations and their despair and the ways that they didn't fully trust the Lord. And the Lord exposed that in them in order to grow their faith, to show that he is faithful. And so the Lord over and over and over again showed himself faithful. They also faced, as we saw last week, external battles. There was enemies that were after them, and the Lord fought for his people and again showed himself faithful. For us as believers today, as God's people today, we also are journeying in the wilderness. Yes, we've experienced salvation in Christ, and yes, we have the hope of Jesus returning and renewing and restoring all things, but in that time in between, we're in a wilderness journey. There's pain, there's suffering, there's hardship, but in the midst of all of that, God is faithful, and he's doing some incredible things. He's shaping us, and he's making us into the image of Christ. Romans, as Romans 5 tells us, we rejoice in our suffering. Why? Because suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Why? Because the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And friends, when we're in the wilderness, when we're suffering, when we're battling, when they're fighting, it's so easy for us to lose perspective. So easy for us to miss what God is up to. To miss that God is actively at work in our lives, shaping us and transforming us and renewing us and maturing us. It's easy for us to lose sight of the fact that he has defeated our enemies and he will defeat our enemies. He is a God who fights for us. So easy for us to miss that. 
God is up to incredible things in the wilderness. And this morning, this morning we're going to be reminded that he's also up to something else. And so if we turn to Exodus 18, we see there is a reunion. And you can imagine, if you've ever had those moments where you've been away from close family members for an extended period of time, and you get to see them for the first time, and just the emotion and the joy and the excitement that takes place. Well, we are brought into such a moment at the beginning of Exodus 18 as Moses is reunited with his family. He's reunited with his father-in-law Jethro, his wife Zipporah, and his two sons. And the reason this is such an emotional reunion is because there's so much history with this family. So much has happened among this family. And so let's dial it back all the way to Exodus 2. Moses, who is a Hebrew, raised in the household of Pharaoh, goes on the run. In, in defending one of the Hebrew slaves, he, he kills an Egyptian, and Pharaoh is after him. And so he goes on the run. He flees Egypt. Eventually, we come to this scene in Exodus 2 that's like straight out of every man's dream. There's bad guys. There's women to be rescued. And Moses fights the bad guys off, saves the day, and wins the hand of the girl. It's so cool. Moses is this action hero that his, his marriage comes out of dramatic rescue. And so he's brought into the family of Jethro. And Moses settles down in this family and becomes a shepherd. And, and he begins to start a life. But there's also pain with this because Moses is in exile. Moses is far away from the homeland that he was raised in. He's far away from his biological family, far away from the people that he belongs to that are enslaved, and far away from the home he was raised in. So Moses is in exile. But a shamed exile is not the last word over Moses' life. Because God meets him on the edge of the wilderness. God appears to him in a burning bush and he says, Moses, I've heard my people crying out, I'm going to rescue them. I'm going to be faithful to the promise that I made, and I'm going to use you. I'm sending you back into Egypt to bring my people out. And Moses does everything in his power to try to keep this from happening. He's like, please, Lord, not me, anybody but me. But eventually, Moses submits. Moses is faithful, and he determines to go back to Egypt to bring his people out of slavery. And before he does, he goes and meets with his father-in-law, and he asks permission hey, can I go back to Egypt? I need to go back to Egypt. And we, we don't really know all that he told Jethro at the time. We, all, all scripture tells us in Exodus 4.18 is that he says, I want to go see how my family is doing. And so we don't know if he told them about meeting with God on the mountain in the burning bush and, and that call, or if he just sort of said, I want to go back and see how they're doing. But Mo, or Jethro gives him permission. And so Moses takes his wife, and at the time, his only son, and they head back to Egypt. Now, at some point, Moses sends his wife and son back. And Scripture doesn't tell us exactly when this happens, but it's probably a safe bet that it happens once things start to get particularly dangerous in Egypt. When Pharaoh is particularly angry with Moses because of the confrontation and the increasing plagues, it's probably a little bit dangerous for Moses' family. So at some point, he sends him back. And so you the guess is, we don't know this for sure, but the guess is, is that either when Moses first talked to Jethro or when his family goes back and tells him all that had happened or what was going on, that Jethro got some sort of word about what was taking place. 
And you have to believe that Jethro was curious. Jethro, as we see both back in Exodus 2 and here in Exodus 18, it says he's a priest of Midian. He's a religious leader. He's a religious guy. And so talk of Yahweh and this call from God and God confronting the gods of the Egyptians. There's going to be a battle between gods going on. As a religious man, you have to guess he was curious. You have to guess that he probably had lots of questions about what was happening. And then just even think about at the human level. Moses is going after the most powerful man in the most powerful nation. You know, the chances of success are very little. And so you can imagine Jethro and Zipporah and their sons were all worried. This is probably not going to turn out well for Moses. So lots of questions, lots of wondering. And then we get to the beginning of Exodus 18. In verse 1, we read, Moses' father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, heard about everything that God had done for Moses and for God's people Israel when the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt. Word had gotten back to Jethro what the Lord had done to Egypt. So it was kind of like, hashtag, let my people go. It was trending on the ancient Near Eastern Twitter. Now, obviously, information didn't travel as fast as it does today, but you better believe if the most powerful nation was just overthrown and an entire people group had just been released from slavery, it was going to travel through the world. People were going to find out about it. And so it gets back to Jethro Man, Moses came out of there alive. The people of Israel came out of there. Egypt has been overthrown. And you can imagine the stories they're telling. Supposedly, there's like these plagues and like the Red Sea split and all this, this stuff is happening. And Jethro's probably thinking, what? What's going on? Are these things true? So Jethro goes to meet Moses. And he meets him near the exact place where Moses was first commissioned by God. Kind of full circle here. And he brings Zipporah and their sons with him. And there's this joyful greeting. They, they greet each other and they, they hug and they kiss. And there's this excitement to see each other after all of that time. And as verse 8 tells us, Moses recounted to his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardships that confronted them on the way and how the Lord rescued them. Jethro comes in saying, Moses, I've heard these stories. Tell me more. Are these things true? Do these things really happen? And Moses is like, yes. Yes, you should have been there. And you should have been there when the Nile turned to blood. You should have been there when the locusts came and the frogs. Man, I, I swore when the boils came, I thought Pharaoh for sure would let us go after that. And it almost sounded like he was, but, but he didn't. And so then there was the hail. And boy, You've never seen darkness quite like this darkness. And the nights where we sacrificed the Passover lamb and we heard the cries from the, the Egyptians as the Lord struck down the firstborn. What a night. What a sobering night. But listen, Jethro, Dad, you know what happened next? The Egyptians started just giving us their stuff and they told us to get out. And the Lord brought us out. I mean, we, we started as slaves, and we came out with, like, wealth and riches. It was like they just couldn't give us enough of their stuff. And so we marched out of there in victory. The Lord rescued us in victory. You should have been there. It was incredible. But, but, but it, doesn't, it isn't in there. We kept going, and then, wouldn't you know it, Pharaoh, 
dude is so stubborn, came after us again. Like, even after every, the firstborn had been struck down, he keeps coming after us, and so he chases us. And, and look, we got to this place where we were between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army. I've got to be honest, like, people were like, what's going on? Are we going to die? Did you bring us out here to die? Like, people were starting to freak out. <laughs> but you're never going to believe this. You're never going to believe this. The sea split. Like, like literally, dry land right through the middle of the Red Sea for all of us to walk through. And so we walked through. And you should have seen the walls of water. Unbelievable. And we walk through on dry land. God delivers us yet again. And when the Egyptians came after us, God dropped the sea on them. And he defeated our enemies. We watched them wash up on the shore. Over and over and over again, God was faithful to us. God rescued us. God delivered us. God fought for us. So Moses tells Jethro of all of God's power to rescue and redeem them. But notice something in that passage. That's not just what Moses says. He also tells Jethro about all the hardships that followed them. All the hardships that confronted them on the way. Listen, listen, Dad. It hasn't been easy. But like, I want you to know, once we, once we got out of Egypt and crossed the Red Sea, it wasn't like we were just kind of walking on sunshine, you know, Holy Spirit, ghost cloud, fire, you know, just kind of in this, just, this trance of just joy all the time, and like, man, everything is great and it is awesome. No. Like, it's been hard. We've gone without food and water. We have fallen into doubt and despair. We have tested the Lord. Man, the Amalekites, they were picking off the weak that were straggling behind, and then they came at us full on to fight. Like, it has been anything but easy in this journey since the Lord has redeemed us. But you know what? Even in those things, God has been faithful. He provided water for us. When, when we came across this bitter water, he made it sweet. When we ran out of bread, he provided bread from heaven. When, when there was no water, he brought water out of a rock. When the Amalekites attacked us head on, he fought for us and we won. Like God has been faithful. And so Moses is honest about the journey. He's honest about God's faithfulness both in the good and in the bad, in the victory and in the ugly. Like he held nothing back. The, the testimony was, was all of it. It was all of it. And what is Jethro's response to this incredible testimony? Verses 9 through 12, we read this. Jethro rejoiced over all the good things the Lord had done for Israel when he rescued them from the power of the Egyptians. Blessed be the Lord, Jethro exclaimed, who rescued you from the power of Egypt and from the power of Pharaoh. He's rescued the people from under the power of Egypt. Now I know the Lord is greater than all gods, because he did wonders when the Egyptians acted arrogantly against Israel. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in God's presence. Hearing the testimony of Moses, Jethro becomes a believer. Jethro is converted. Jethro isn't just saying, man, I'm happy for you guys. I'm happy you're no longer in slavery. Cool story, bro. Really great for you. No. 
Jethro believes. The joy and the rejoicing here is belief. He says, I know that Yahweh, the Lord, is greater than all other gods. Jethro is putting his faith in the Lord. And how do we know? He brings sacrifices. He worships. He worships. And then he sits down and has a meal with Moses and Aaron and the elders. This In God's presence, this is a sign of being welcomed into the fellowship of God's people. The testimony of Moses, the testimony of Israel, converts Jethro. Now, this is Moses' father-in-law, so we're thinking, okay, cool, cool. Moses' father-in-law gets saved. But do not miss the significance of this. Jethro is a priest of Midian. He's a religious guy. He is a religious leader in a pagan religion. Not only that, he's a religious leader in a pagan religion among people who are the enemies of Israel. So the story of the Midianites, just like the Amalekites we saw last week, Israel and Midian, they they had family connections. They had family connections. They both traced their lineage back to Abraham. Midian, Midian was Abraham's son with his second wife. And so there's a distant relationship, distant cousins here as well. But as we also see throughout Scripture, the Midianites were enemies of the people of God, just as the Amalekites were, continually fighting against God's people, continuing being a threat and a danger to God's people. And ultimately, God would fight for Israel and defeat the Midianites as well. So, so, so trace what's happening here. Last week we saw God defeating his enemies, God defeating the enemies of his people. Here we have a religious leader from God's enemies, And does God judge him and defeat him? No, what does he do? He saves him. He saves him. You see, the the points here, the message here, what's, what's driven here is that God, yes, defeats evil and he judges his enemies and he overthrows his enemies and he defeats him. But that's not all God does. He also saves his enemies. He rescues and redeems his enemies. Friends, even in the Old Testament, even in the Old Testament, the salvation that that God brings is not just for one type of people. The the salvation that God brought to Israel was not just about Israel. God always intended to save people from every tribe, tongue, and language. As we read all the way back in the promise that God gives to Abraham in Genesis 12, this is what he tells Abraham. I will make you into a great nation, Israel. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God's great rescue mission has always been about saving people of all nations, of all tribes, of all languages. Jethro is an archetype here. He's a picture of what God is up to in the world, what God intends to do in the world. Yes, God will defeat evil. Yes, God will defeat his enemies. But God is going to rescue and redeem and save What is God ultimately up to in the world? Salvation, rescue, redemption. And how does he do that? Through the testimony of his people. Through the testimony of his people. Through the testimony of Moses and the testimony of Israel, Jethro becomes a believer. Friends, this is what this passage ultimately points us to. It it points us to what we testify to the world, that the Lord is great And his salvation goes to all people. 
The Lord is great and he rescues all people. There is no one outside of the scope of God's salvation. And we are called to go and testify to this great salvation. We are called to go and testify that the Lord is great and his salvation is for all people. Listen, Israel was not redeemed so they could go hide in the promised land and just kind of camp out and be proud of themselves and go, look at us, we're God's people, how cool is this? And just sort of retreat from the world. Israel was to be a light. Israel was supposed to testify so that the nations would know the greatness of the Lord. Here's what we read in Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come. This is God speaking to Israel. And the glory of the Lord shines over you. For look, darkness will cover the earth and total darkness the peoples. But the Lord will shine over you and his glory will appear over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to your shining brightness. Israel was rescued and redeemed so they could be a light to the nations. The glory of the Lord was to sh- would shine over them and shine on them so that then that light would be shown through them and so the nations would come to them. Yes, Israel had wars to fight, but that did not take away from the fact that they were to be a light in how they lived their lives and showing the goodness and the beauty of following the Lord, the greatness of the Lord. They shine this light into the darkness They fought their battles, but fighting these battles was in service to God's great mission to rescue and redeem. They were to attract and draw the nations through their testimony of God's glory. So friends, listen, like suffering in the wilderness, man, it is hard, it is painful, and here's what it can do to us. It can cause us to sort of put up our fists, so to speak, and we got to fight off the world we got to fight off those threats. And so we just go into fight or flight mode. And so it's, it's this posture of I'm just going to fight or I'm going to retreat. Like in some ways, those two things are completely understandable. But friends, it's missing the bigger picture. When we just throw up our fists or we just go into defensive mode and fight off the world or, or if we run and retreat, what do we miss? We miss that we have a gospel to proclaim. We have a testimony to declare that the kingdom of God is advancing, that God is rescuing and redeeming and saving sinners. And so, yes, friends, we do have to fight for what is good and what is true and what is beautiful. We do have to fight against enemies that are trying to destroy the church. But when we fight for what is good and true and beautiful, when we fight for the glory of God, never forget we do that so we can declare the greatness of God and so that people can experience his greatness and experience salvation. Like, we fight so that we can declare who God is so that people will be saved. Is this what you're doing? Or have you just, you're, you're so used to the fight, you're so defensive, or, or you've retreated away that you've forgotten you have a testimony. You've forgotten that you have something to declare. And listen, listen, Moses had some awesome stories to tell, right? Plagues. Like Passover, a parting Red Sea, like those are incredible stories. But guess what? As we've seen over time and time again, those things were signs and shadows of something greater. And we get to talk about that something greater. We declare something greater. Like greater than plagues and Passover and parted seas, we declare Jesus Christ crucified for sin but resurrected and reigning. We declare that Jesus has conquered sin and suffering and death. 
greater than eating bread from heaven or drinking water from a rock. We get to partake of the true bread, Jesus. We drink of the water that he gives, eternal life. And guess what we do? We testify that all people can come and partake of Jesus. Are you declaring? Are you testifying that the Lord is great and his salvation is for all people? Listen, friends, Jesus is the true descendant of Abraham through which blessing comes. He is the blessing that God promised Abraham all the way back at the beginning. And Jesus is the true light of the world that shines into the darkness. Jesus is the glory of God that is shown on you and I as God's people. And we are now to shine his light into the world, as Matthew 5 says. Friends, we have a great God. We have a testimony to declare that our God is great and his salvation is for all people. So let's not be people who just go into the defense and put up our fists or retreat from the world. Let us be those who testify to Jesus. Let's testify that there is a Savior who is crucified for sin but is now resurrected and reigning. Let's testify that through him you can know forgiveness. Through him there is freedom. Through him there is life and joy and peace and hope. Oh, let's testify that our Savior has defeated sin defeated suffering, defeated evil, defeated death. He's defeated every rule, evil rule and power and authority. He is the sovereign king who has been given every authority and power in heaven on earth. Friends, listen, let's testify to God's power to redeem and rescue by testifying how he's redeemed and rescued us. Let's testify to how God provides by testifying how he's provided for us in every need. Let us testify to how God is faithful because his faithfulness has met us and every hardship and every pain and all of our sin and all of our mess. How powerful it is, church. How powerful it is when we are open and honest about the hardships that confront us along the way. Like, isn't it easy sometimes to to want to present the gospel in such a way that if you put your faith in Jesus, he kind of neatly tidies up your life and just kind of makes all your problems go away? Like, Like, that would be so great to be able to say that, wouldn't it? Like, trust in Jesus, turn from your sin, and you're just going to have this nice, comfortable life with lots of success. American dream Jesus. Listen, There is certainly blessing that comes when you're obedient to Christ. Certainly blessing. There is certainly a way in which we thrive when we submit to the authority of Christ. That is absolutely true. But listen, listen. Following Jesus, being obedient to Jesus, comes with so much suffering. It comes with lots of opposition. Like, listen, we we live in a fallen, broken world. Jesus hasn't come back yet. We still suffer. We still get sick. We still die. There's still hardship. There's still pain. And listen, we're not perfected yet. And so we still sin. We still struggle. There's going to be ways that we make things a mess. But in all of that, Jesus is faithful. Like in all of that, God's power meets us. In all of that, he is still caring for us and working our life and fighting for us. Testify to that, church. Like, listen, you guys, I'm sure you're familiar with, most of you are familiar with the story in John 4. Jesus with the woman at the well. It's a beautiful story. And in that story, Jesus meets with this woman who she'd been married multiple times and the man she was living with wasn't her husband. And and so Jesus kind of calls that out and then he reveals who he is to her and what does she end up doing? She ends up 
running back to the, the village and saying, come meet this man who has said, told, told me everything that I've ever done. Like she was at the well at that time of day to hide in her shame. Like, like she didn't go out when the, when the other woman would because, because she knew she was a social outcast. She carried a lot of shame for her sin. But then she runs back and says, man, this guy's told me everything I've ever done and I want you to meet him. Like what was once her shame became her testimony. And, and here's the thing, church. Like I think we're super comfortable when that's like our life before Christ. Like before Jesus, man, you should hear the mess I was in. And look what Jesus rescued me from. And now I want to tell that story. That's good and beautiful. Listen, church, that is not just for back then. That is for right now. Like there are still ways you make a mess. There's still ways you sin. There's still ways that you are broken. And what we tend to do is we tend to hide that stuff as if God's grace doesn't meet us now. God's grace wasn't just for your past. It's for, your, it's for now. Your testimony isn't just a testimony back then. It's a testimony now. Don't hide that stuff. Just as Moses shared all the mess, share the mess. Let your testimony be of how God's grace is meeting you right now in your sin and your mess. How God's grace and his faithfulness are meeting right now in your hardships that you have right now. Declare to this world that there's no limitation to God's faithfulness. There's no limitation to his goodness to us. It meets us right now, even when we blow it. Testify to that, church. Testify to that. Now, last week, I I called us to take seriously the very real spiritual war we're facing. Like, there is an enemy that wants to destroy the church. And we must fight. We must defend against an enemy who wants to take out the church. And so we must fight by raising the banner of Christ and fighting with the spiritual weapons that he has given us. But, but listen, church, as much as I, man, I want us to have backbone, like I want us to have a steel spine and thick skin for the battle, but I also want us to always, always, always have soft hearts always have soft hearts because what are we fighting for? What are we ultimately fighting for? The lives, the souls of people. We're not fighting intellectual arguments. We're not trying to fight so we can win politics. We're not trying to fight so we can own the libs on social media. No, we're fighting for souls. We're fighting for people. And so let's have steel spines and thick skins, but soft hearts to people. Let's never lose the joy and the wonder that God is great and he saves people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. He saves all people. Like, we should marvel at that. We should, there should be joy that's brought. There should be almost a sense of what? Even people like me, even people like that guy over there who you would never think God would save. Yes, <laughs> Jesus saves all people. Doesn't matter your background. Doesn't matter your ethnicity. Doesn't matter your socioeconomic status. Doesn't matter where you've been. Jesus saves all people. And I don't want us to ever lose that wonder. I don't want us to ever lose that sense of this is what we're fighting for. This is what we're about, church. And so let us fight. Let us fight. 
but let us fight so that others would see the greatness of God and come to know salvation in him. Let us pray that God would open the minds of people's, the eyes of people's hearts and minds so they would see the glory of God in the glory of Christ. And let's testify that we have a Savior who is relentlessly faithful and powerful to save. And I am so thankful, so thankful for the testimonies that are in this room. I'm so thankful for those of you in this church that live this, that that you testify to God's faithfulness to you, and you keep testifying to God's faithfulness to you, and you're saying, yes, some days I can be a hot mess, but here's what Jesus has done for me and continues to do for me. And I pray that that would be the culture of this church so that when people would come and they would see First City, they would see the testimony of God's grace from beginning to end. And if you're here this morning and you're Jethro in the story, like you're one that maybe no one would expect would be a believer. You're so far deep into whether it's another religion or whether it's sin People would look at you and there's no way that person's going to follow Jesus. And maybe you even say that to you about yourself. There's no way I could follow Christ. There's no way God could save a person like me. You don't know where I've been. You don't know the things I've done. You don't know the lies that I've chased, the false beliefs. You don't, you don't know the holes that I've been in. Perhaps not, friend. Perhaps not. But here's what I do know. The life, death, resurrection of Jesus His power, his grace, his love, greater than any sin. His love and his grace reaches into the darkest pit. His arm is not too short to save anyone. It does not matter where you've been. It does not matter what you've done. It does not matter what false religion you've chased what pleasure you've chased, who you've hurt, the mess that you have made of your life and the life of others, Jesus saves and he can save you. And he holds out salvation to you this morning. Jesus died that we could be forgiven and set free. He rose in victory so we could have new life. And yes, before he returns, you will face hardship, you will continue to face pain, And there may be things in your life that you need to repent of, and there may be things that need to be healed and restored in your life, but guess what? God's faithfulness is powerful to do that, and he will meet you in that. You have so much hope because of Christ, and so his offer of salvation is to you this morning. Don't turn your back. Do as Jethro did. Behold the greatness of God and believe. Turn from your old life. Turn from your sin and believe. Come into the fellowship of God's family. And yes, I'm just going to be honest with you. We are messy. We're a messy people. We make a mess. But I also can tell you this. We are a people that will love you with truth and grace and walk alongside you so that you would thrive in Jesus. For all of us, let us put our faith and trust in Jesus and testify to that because the Lord is great. And the salvation goes to all people. Let's pray.